Probably so. Um, thank you all for joining me. Um, had the pleasure of occupying uh, a friend of mine's time since she's pretty busy with life and uh, being what she recently called me uh, bad bougie. Yeah. So I know that may mean mean something for many different people, but um, I w- I like to start off my podcast by. Um, pretty much express or talking about illustrating the scene of how I met the individual. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in, this is episode seven of The Glory in Our Stories. I try to set up a an environment where an individual can express themselves and pretty much inform us about who they are, where they came from. And um, I recently realized that the reason why a lot of us have a tendency to judge someone is because we don't know who they are. We know what they are, but we don't know who they are. And I wanted to create a, uh, um, an experience where we can develop a conversation. Um, a few years ago, I met uh, that we had an open mic at Higher Ground Cafe in downtown Augusta. And I met this, um, I'm not going to say young lady, make it sound like maybe, she, maybe too old or something, but uh, this young woman uh, who's very outspoken. Um, I, I try to think of a word earlier today to describe her, uh, just one word, and it would be a uh, hashtag, uh, bouse. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, who? <laughs> bouse. B-A-W-S-E. Uh, uh, I'm a bouse. 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 Bouse, yeah. Oh, bouse is. Is that the cousin of a mouse? <laughs> <laughs> um, what this, um, YouTube sensation was explaining was that that term, like it boss, B-O-S, Yes. Mm-hmm. This reference is somebody that's the boss of a company. Mm-hmm. But in this reference, it's boss. <laughs> a boss of life. Oh, okay. Like you excel in almost every aspect that you encounter. Oh, both of those. And just expect a lot of this probably during the interview. Um, I would say she's one of the coolest people I've met. Oh. Um, during that time, we were uh, having an open mic, and I realized that she was very direct with the things that she would say. If she she thought it, it literally came out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> at the time, I was like, well, this woman doesn't have a filter. But the one thing I did honor um, and admire about her was the fact that she was very uh, straightforward and honest. And um, she was considerate, but everything she said, it came with came with power, it came with weight. And I highly appreciated that. I used to compare her to <laughs> my sisters, which mm. you probably didn't like. Oh, but that's fine. That's fine. You love your sister, so it's all good. Which is uh, which is a compliment in itself. I, I grew up in an environment of women, very strong women, and to come across somebody who uh, matched that such caliber is always always honoring. Um, I'm gonna give you all the opportunity to hear from her. I'm just gonna ask her a couple of questions. Um, Leah, the first question is maybe kind of a vague question, but I wanted to know who you are, if you can explain. Um, I think it depends on a lot of things. I'm multifaceted. I am a force. Um, mm-hmm. I am deliberate. I am strategic. I am funny. I am 
taken out of context <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I am unapologetic. I am fearful. Um, I am, which makes me courageous. I'm a mother. I'm a boss. Um, <laughs> I'm a boss. Um, I like the term leader. I'm a leader. I'm a, a daughter. I'm a worshiper. I'm a musician. I'm a poet. I'm an artist. I'm just feeling my way through this existence. That's who I am. I think I got them all. <laughs> I'm sure I forgot things, but that's who I am. So I remember you telling me years ago. I'm not sure if this was your place of origin. Why are you staring but... all in my face like this? <laughs> Stop trying to look at my soul. <laughs> Look, eyes down. Look at the table while you're talking. <laughs> but you were, uh, are you are you originally from Jersey? No, 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 no. Um, I was born in Decatur, Georgia. I'm not gonna look at you because this is really <laughs> awkward. Um, just look at the table. Um, now I was born in Decatur, Georgia, and then when my mom left my father, I was still really young. We moved to Augusta, and she worked out there, and I went to school at Copeland Elementary. For a while, and then she got a job out in, I don't know where she was, Emanuel County or something like that, and we moved to the country, we moved out to Burke County, and I lived in Sardis, Georgia for a while, through middle school, and then for high school I was in Waynesboro, Georgia, and graduated, and then I got married and got divorced, well, it let, I assume got divorced, I got married and I moved while I was married, I moved to Kingsland, Georgia, um, right on the, the Florida, Georgia coast. And then I rode on an 18-wheeler to Jersey City, New Jersey. And I lived on top of an ice cream shop in the Heights for a while. And then I moved, I know. And then I moved <laughs> to Newark, New Jersey. Bang, bang, murder, murder, kill, carjack capital of the world. Um, Brick City, stand up. And then... <laughs> I moved from North New Jersey to East Orange, New Jersey, and then from East Orange, New Jersey, I, I was married there a second time and had my children, and I moved back to Augusta, and then I divorced again because I'm really good at that, and um, been living in Augusta since. Hot. <laughs> there you go. Boom. Now, do you, uh, do you prefer the North? I tell you what I like about the North with an F North. <laughs> what I like about the North Um <laughs> I, was, I was sipping my water. Um what I prefer about the North is uh the 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 cultural diversity that's there. Um and the open-mindedness that you find oftentimes up in the Northeast because it's so culture, such a cultural mix. Uh, what I like about the North is the weather. I like the concrete because it reminds me of me. Um, hard. But then you go inside and it's not at all what you expect. Um, so I feel like the North is an excellent metaphor for who I am. Um, what I like about the South... Uh, I don't like the Georgia heat because it's humid. I guess I could deal with heat if it wasn't so humid. No, I couldn't because, you know, sugar melts. 
and I'm not trying to be anybody's puddle on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> uh, no, but I, I do prefer the North, or at least a more urban, a more city atmosphere. I do think that for where I was at in my life when I moved back down here, pregnant, nine months pregnant with one and a one-year-old, um, I figured the South was a better, you know, it was a slower pace, so it was easier. Mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily easy. Nothing about it was easy, but it was, it was a better environment for me trying to take care of two kids and figure out what I was going to do with myself. So um, I appreciate what the South afforded me in that way, and I also appreciate the cost of living in the South. I have a lot of time for that. Um, but what I don't appreciate about the South is the lack of. Um, cultural diversity and a lot of times you know and maybe it's just and that oh, look I'm not in any way shape or form painting the south with a broad stroke I understand that there are diversities in every um, region but uh, just from my own experience the things that surprise us in the south like um, I went to my little brother's prom yeah. here recently mm-hmm. and they're like interracial couples, and I remember when I was in high school, one of the schools out in the country still had two proms, a black and a white prom, and I graduated in 2003. And then when the interracial couples came out this year, like people cheered like it was, oh, something to be celebrated. Well, it's just the norm up, up north. We're used to seeing, you know, people from other cultures choose to be with one another, and it's not a big deal, but, like, we got to act like people are being rebels and it just lets you know how far we haven't come so um i i like the south i probably prefer the north i'm trying to find a happy medium i'm trying trying to find a place that gives me you know the lovely comfortable uh the cost of living of the south and the opportunity the option for a slow pace but i can still get in the city i'm a busy person my mind moves really fast Mm -hmm. and so i like to be around that I like to be around a gritty atmosphere, something that requires you to always be on your guard and and I, I don't know, I think I think here we go, first tangent of the day. <laughs> I think that living in um urban city environments re- at, it demands more of people, yeah um mentally, and I'm not saying that to slight people in the south, but if you have to constantly have your guard up. Um, you always have a hyper awareness. Maybe your consciousness is operating a little bit more sh- strongly than in the South where, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's nice. I went to Greensboro a week ago and I really did enjoy um, the fact that everywhere I went, people were just saying, hey, how you doing? They were so nice. And I remember what I loved about the North is nobody bothered me. That was great. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it was really you know, I'm just saying, there, I think that there, because you have to be so aware of your your surroundings, and you should always be aware of your surroundings, but because you have to be so aware of your surroundings in an urban or in a, a, a city environment, I think it just demands more of our consciousness. Think about it, you know, like when you drive home, a lot of that stuff you do on autopilot, you don't, might, you might not necessarily remember everything you drove past, but you ended up at home. Yeah. Yeah. So... You don't necessarily do that when you get on public transportation. You get on the bus or the subway in the city. You stand around all these people. You're aware of people maybe want to pick your pocket or dig in your bag or whatever. Just things you have to be on your guard about. And so I I like that the city demands a certain level of consciousness. 
it's not easy to sleep in a city. Yeah. And I mean that metaphorically <laughs> and literally. Yeah. I remember. Um, I need to write that down and put that in a poem. Oh, put that. That was good. Or a lyric. Well, uh, right? It's not easy to sleep in, in a city. Ooh, go ahead. I'm listening. But I remember I went to, um, I wrote The Martyr in Atlanta for mm-hmm. the first time. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the idea of being consciously aware, ev- I was looking everywhere and noticing different things because I haven't been in that environment before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when I, when I got there, there was a guy trying to trick people into getting something doing with the cards. He would say, hey, man, I can get you on if you give me a certain amount of money. Mm. And one guy went on, but one guy was like, no, nah, I ain't going to do that. Next thing you know, you see him coming back with the white guy, and they arguing about something. Mm. But it has a lot of, there's a, a lot of, I guess, inappropriate, I don't like this, it's, it's hard to explain, but if I was, like, here, I never really, it would, never would have crossed my mind to, to, be in a position where something like that would happen. Mm-hmm. And we went to the underground mall. Mm-hmm. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. And because uh, all I saw was, was us, mm-hmm. was black people. And I didn't write, I didn't, if I saw a white person, I'm like, they're out of place. Yeah. Because it's uncommon. How's that feel? Um, <laughs> yeah, take that. So I'm that, just kidding. <laughs> that was like, something like that. That's, that's like a, that's yeah. a culture shock. Yeah. And you know what you know would be really interesting is if you to get somebody that's originally from the North, raised in, the, in an urban community. And it doesn't have to be from the North. Anybody's raised in a city as mm-hmm. opposed to this country way of life that we have or this more suburban way of life and, and see what they say if they think that it demands a higher level of consciousness or whether or not um, their consciousness awakens because they're able to see more than just the grit and the everyday and the on guard. I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they'd have a similar experience, but just in different words, and different ideations. Now, do you um, have you faced any? I won't say opposition, but you being biracial. Yes, I'm black. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, mom. I, I know I'm half white. I don't want any problems. I'm sorry. But like, but being here, do, uh, you, do you feel that you have to choose a side? Um, I chose a side um, because it was different when I was growing up. I got along really well with um, white girls and black guys. That was I don't know what I'm gonna say. Um, you know. I, there, like, there's so many things that run really deep in the black community. Um, we were talking earlier about this book I just read, Toni Morrison's God Help the Child, really good book that deals with issues of colorism. And that is a real thing in the black community. And I'm not even about to talk about, like, woe is me, everything I experienced as a light-skinned or biracial person. But I will say that that was a challenge, um, my skin tone uh, being accepted in some groups. Um, because there are things that are just assumed about me because I'm yellow, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and then white guys, man, they, whew, even if they liked me, like where I was living at, they, their their families weren't having that. There was one guy I can remember that I really liked in high school, and he was fine. Yes, I had time. He was white, and um, I knew he liked me too, but he told me. Um, that his parents would not allow him to be with a black girl. And what was crazy, right? So then like my me and my mom will get into these 
whatever, where she's like, you're, you're half white, you're not just black. Well, I'm glad you see me that way, but to the external world, they don't look at me and say, I wonder which of her parents is white and if she's growing up white. They look at me and they see a person of color. I went up north, everybody thought I was Puerto Rican or Dominican. They spoke to, spoke Spanish to me. I was like, I don't know what's happening. Um, <laughs> but down here, people assume I'm black. And it became wisest for me to uh, identify with someone. I watched my brother my older brother, and now my younger brother, I've seen this happen for him, maybe not, uh, but that's because he's young. He hasn't experienced it in the same way as my older brother, but his day will come when he find out he's black. Um, <laughs> but my older brother used to be in love with white girls. Oh my God, he used to love white girls. And in my mind, it was because, you know, uh, while well, mom was white, and you know, so they say, you know, guys marry their mothers. Um, and then also, I think that maybe he had a need at some point of, for affirmation or to be accepted because he had a lot of, um, you know, his friends were white and black. But and, and the white girls would not date him. They, they would like him, but their families would not go for it. And I never had an issue. Like brothers, were, hey, man, they was like, we're we are in line for the position. Are you hiring? Um, so me and brothers always really kind of hit it off. And me and white girls always really got along. And I think it's because I was brought up with my white half of my family. It was just an interesting conundrum or uh, interesting situation to be in. It's just easier for me. I just identified as black. But what's, what's fascinating is I didn't really understand who I was up until maybe... Um, Oh, when did we graduate? 2014, so 2010. I probably didn't have a firm understanding of who I was as a person until 2011. And how old did, was I in 2011? How old were we, Calvin? Oh, uh, 26. We were young, but we were not young, young. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and that's when I really began to to explore my black heritage because you know growing up with with a white family I didn't necessarily it's not that my mom didn't expose me to black culture I mean I mean I knew what the schools taught Martin Luther King yeah a little bit about Frederick Douglass um civil rights Rosa Parks Harry Tubman that was my black history, and that's as far as it went. And I knew, I know that it shocked the hell out of my mother uh, a year or two ago when I was on my blacktivism, and I, <laughs> that's what I call it. Um, but I was really searching, I was really trying to understand who I was, because the, here we go, tangent number two, the, <laughs> the consciousness of black people in North America is a, um, a complex one. Yeah. We are from nowhere, but we are from here, and we are from somewhere. Yeah. Just wrap your head around all of those um, paradoxes, right? So you got to think about it. Uh, being of the diaspora, we are a people that is specific to North America, right? Yeah. And we have black culture, jazz, all that good stuff, soul food that sprang up North America. But we have influences that that have to do with from where we actually come. Mm -hmm. Mama Africa, 
but we are a people that are cut off from our religion, our language, our ancestry, the whole nine. We know nothing about from whom we come. We can, we might be able to narrow ourselves down to a slave. That's it. Can't tell you anything about else about yourself. Whereas white America um, has the the privilege to be able to go all the way back. They can take it all the way back to the family crest. We just don't have that option. So to be a stranger in a strange land, if you will, I think that that is the complex consciousness of black America. And um, for me, like I said, a couple years ago, I really started to examine that and try to figure out who I am. I wanted to know about my ancestry. I wanted to know my DNA. I wanted to know. I got I got loyalty. I wanted to know. <laughs> I just want to know who I was. Um, like, what tribe of people made me up? You know, what part of Africa did my people come from? And, you know, I know that there was going to be other stuff mixed up in mine, really, because I'm like a bag of Skittles, I, but that's okay. I, I just want to know. I want to know what religion my people practice. Not to say that that was going to make me change my faith, I, I, but I would like to have the option of knowing. Um, so I feel like the, you know, it's a complex consciousness for black America. And for me, I identified as black, but did not really explore that until I was significantly older. I think my brother, my older brother is... If I, if I had to tangent number three, if I had to um, explain the, the consciousness of me and my siblings, and I'm not doing this in a, in a way that's one's better than the other. I'm just saying if I had to explain the consciousness, it would be that my younger brother is being raised colorblind, which in, is a disservice to him in and of itself. Because he will meet system systematic oppression, uh, not well, yeah, uh, racism and things like that. As soon as he leaves his small town, the yeah. first time he gets pulled over as a black man, he will find out he's black, really fast. Um, my older brother is a black American, and power to the people, black American. And I like to think I'm, um, I, you know, I'm a black American who is really aware of my African uh, ancestry. And, but see, and that's just three of us. And you think about the entire makeup of black people, we all are varying at some level of consciousness trying to figure out who we are. And I feel like that's why we are such a, a complicated people. I think we live, here we go, I think that black people in our country live in a perpetual state of ambivalence. I think that. And I think it's because of the fact that we are cut off from who we are and from whom we come. Well, you ain't gotta agree. I'm just telling you. That's but, what I think. But do you think that we would ever find that which we are looking for? Um, In some way. I think that, you know, there are repatriation um opportunities for us in Africa like Ghana has opened up its doors to allow for dual citizenship for people of the diaspora to come and be citizens of Ghana mm -hmm. and you know they welcome you home so to speak and then you be a citizen of the United States I just think that um, I mean I don't I don't have an answer I really I mean I don't have that godlike um, vision I can't see it 
So probably not. But I think, though, that, you know, we all have voids, eternity-sized voids placed in our spirits that nothing on this side of, the, of heaven can fill. So why are you looking like that? <laughs> There's a lot to take in. It is. But it's... Uh, it's, it's heavy, right? Dang. You sweating? You good? <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, wow. I would like for you... Th- listen... Listen, people of Calvin's podcast, you are living rent-free in my head for however long this goes. And and I want you to understand, this is what it's like to be in my mind all the time. And Calvin over here looking exhausted. And hell, we ain't been talking that long. He over here scratching, he's sweating. And that's a lot, my brother. <laughs> yeah. But um, in reference, well, in reference to the, your, your dad, mm. what's, uh, I guess that, <laughs> no, what? what? But how how is that as far as uh, where you all stand now, opposed to the past? Well, it's interesting. It's funny you bring it up. It's not funny. It's interesting that you bring it up. It's funny. I guess I'd be laughing. See, <laughs> tangent number four. I can't can't just let a thought go. I gotta I gotta run with that thought until I'm finished with it. I'm back. Um, my father was a very before I say all that, I want to say this. I watched, excuse me, this Netflix special, and if you've not seen it, go watch it. Tony Robbins, I'm not your effing guru. Eye opening, and yeah, I thought I watched it because I was like, this guy's a quack. I can't wait to watch it, and within the first 10, 15 minutes, I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> He's so right. Oh my god, I love it. Um, but he said something about blame. You know, we want to blame people for the things that happened to us. And he, I'm paraphrasing him, but if you want to blame people, that's okay, blame. But if you're going to blame, blame elegantly. How do you blame elegantly? Well, you have to blame them for the good, too. Because yeah. it's cause and effect. If you don't have um, uh, things that make you afraid, then you'll never know what it's like to be courageous. Courage is not the absence of fear it's doing in the face of it you know that mm-hmm. you have to blame deliberately and blame elegantly so i'm prefacing everything i'm about to say with that my father um is a very difficult man and he was a musician in fact a lot of times i think the only thing that ever really held us together was was the music um if you ever heard my father sing, man, he sound like a mashup of Al Green and Marvin Gaye. Oh, and he'd man. sit at the piano, and he could play anything, he'd think it, he'd hear it, and he'd play it. And his voice, oh my God, his voice. Oh, and you think I could sing. And my father, and his brother too, and my other uncle, who died of AIDS, uh, rest in peace, Uncle Bernard, he, uh, they all could sing. I mean, like sang, sang, sang that face off. And my dad toured. That's how I met my mother. He was in a band, um, the Tams, and he traveled and toured, made music. Um, so that's always been our common thread. But my father was, you know, like a lot of musicians, he enjoyed partaking in, in you know, recreational drugs. He's an alcoholic, and he abused um what I knew of growing up, he smoked weed, but he drank. But then, you know, now as an adult, I find out that he's tried a little bit of everything. My father was a crackhead. Ain't no what, base head, whatever you want to call him. My dad did smoke crack. Um, 
Shit is crazy. Say out loud, my father smoked crack. <laughs> my, my father's an investor. My, my father smoked crack. Um, I mean, it's just something to say out loud, but that's not all of who he was, but yeah. that in, influenced who he was. Um, but my father was very physically abusive um, to me. And I, like I said, I just went to Greensboro last week, Greensboro, North Carolina, and I saw him, and I'm going to touch on that. But my father was very physically violent, and I have his temper. And it was crazy because when I went to North Carolina last week, I stayed with a childhood friend of mine. Um, we grew up together. We're like cousins, but we're not blood relatives. He, his grandmother is married to my uncle. Um, and so we grew up as kids together. I'm two years older than him. And he was telling me about things we did as children. I don't remember any of them because of the trauma I experienced when I'd go to Thomasville, North Carolina, and be with my father. I blocked out a lot of my childhood because a lot of the memories were very painful for me. So, um, and that hit me last week that I don't remember much about my childhood outside of the beatings, because there were so many. And I'm not talking about go pick your switch or get a belt. I'm talking about, you know, being thrown into a porcelain bathtub and kicked in your ribs or, you know, being stabbed in your arm or thrown into a window or punched in your face. Like, that was the extent of how physically violent my father was. Um, and he was like Dr. Shekel and Mr. Hyde, because when he wasn't high, I just remember the music. That's all I remember. I remember music. I remember egg sandwiches. I remember him grilling rib, uh, grilling ribs, and I remember cheer wine soda. Oh, what is it? Oh, it's a, it's a soda from the Carolinas, North Carolina. It's the best soda you'll ever have. Check it out, cheer wine. Y'all owe me some money. Um, <laughs> but tangent number five. But when I think about the good, those those were the good, those things. Music, cheer wine, grilling ribs, egg sandwiches, and um, I don't remember what the other one was. And then when I think about the bad, it was all the other stuff. And unfortunately, the bad really outweighed the good. And so, for a long time, when I found out my dad was on crack, I must have been a sophomore in college, I found out he was on crack, and I had, um, I was getting pastoral counseling at the time. And I was working through, you know, making peace with the situation and giving him the ultimatum, you know, if you want to have a relationship with me and my kids, you got to leave the drugs alone. He got into a program and 17 months in, he blew it. Um, and then I stopped talking to him again. And then I didn't want to be bothered with him. And so we went a few years where we didn't really talk that much. And then last year, this time, I had a dream. I had to say it just like that because I knew you would do what you're doing right now. He's laughing. Um, but I had a dream uh, in July of last year or in the June last year. And in my dream, I was inconsolable. I could not stop crying. My father died. And I just remember being broken up about all the things we didn't say or, you know, forget what we didn't say. This is how we felt about each other for the entirety of our existence. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to feel that for another human being for your entire existence. So I said, I'm going to go because I'm the queen to pull up. Like, I'll just pull up. No questions asked. Look outside. Leah's out there. Um, so I pulled up 
And I went to go make peace because I felt like that dream was a sign that, you know, it wouldn't be much longer. And I said what I had to say. I told him that I came to say my goodbyes and that, you know, it is well with my soul. And, and that was that. I didn't really talk to him. I remember seeing him and, and thinking, I remember what he looked like before. I remember him being, having, I got shoulders like my dad, you know, like we could have played football, the both of us, <laughs> for uh, any type of pro team. Um, we got some broad shoulders. Um, <laughs> the weight of the world yeah. on our big old shoulders. Um, don't do that. Um, and my dad always had like this Jerry Curl fade with a part cut into it. Um, <laughs> don't. It's kind of like your hair cut right now. But they used to put his little activator in there. So, no. No, but he did. He always loved his little baby hair. Put his little pink lotion in there. His hair was always curled. We got the, my haircut is similar to what my father's was when I was growing up. It's funny. Um, but he, uh, I just remember what he looked like. And his skin was, he was dark brown. He wasn't dark black, but he was dark brown. And was always moisturized because he had eczema. So he, I just remember these things about him. And he kind of reminded you of um, he, when he was really mad and like real crazy. He reminded you of Sam Jackson, but he had a pointy nose. Um, so he kind of reminds you of Samuel L. Jackson. And when he was nice and calm, he reminded you of Kenny Lattimore. It's weird. Um, I'm just painting pictures. <laughs> um, but seeing him when I went back, my dad looked like a skeleton. And I pointed out how moisturized his skin looked because he just looked gray. That's what he looked like. And so then this past year, well, recently I went up there to go see my uncle because I'm trying to relocate to the area. And I went to go see my uncle. I saw my father on Tuesday and the 4th. I didn't really pay attention because my relationship with him is, I'm, I'm so ambivalent when it comes to my father. It's like I want him around, but I don't want him around. It's, it makes no sense. Um, so I picked him up, and we went to downtown Greensboro and was checking out, checking out the area. And we walked around, and he had on his like, black jersey, and um, his skin, his eczema, I mentioned that. It, was, it looked bad, but I didn't want to stare. Right. Mm -hmm. So we walked around and he was like tired and I took him back. And then the next day I went that Wednesday, um, I went to Target, shouts out, and um I bought him some Eucerin and some oatmeal body wash and I went back to my uncle's house in Thomasville and I said, Uh, let's go pull up. Let's just pull up. I'm gonna take him this. And he was like, Okay, niece. That's how he talks. Okay, niece, Lily Bird. That's how he says my name. If you ever call me that, I will not respond. Um, <laughs> so we just pulled up. My father didn't always come. We called him downstairs. He was staying at a um, halfway house. Mm -hmm. And he walked out, and he had on the same thing he had on the day before. And he was scratching his arms, and he had, like, open wounds on his arms. And he scratched his stomach, and his shirt came up, and he had open wounds on his stomach. And his skin had gotten so thick. If you can imagine, sometimes horses on their legs, on the back of their legs, they get these really hard spots. And that's what his elbows looked like. I don't know how else to describe this for you. And he kind of smelled like, kind of smelled of uh, urine because he's gotten to that point in his life now where he doesn't even know that he's not holding it. 
He's 67, but that's some hard living, you know. Um, and he walked out, and I saw something crawling on his jersey, and it was a bed bug. And I was hot. I said, get the landlord out here. Yeah. Did, did you just pay rent? Yes. I said, somebody going to talk to me right now. Yeah. Um, so I was turned. Um, and I walked away from that situation not knowing what to do. So I called a crisis hotline. So my vacation now is a crisis. Right? But uh, I, wanna, I need to interject something. The Wednesday, the week prior... I had a moment, it was late. I had just like excused some guy who wasn't good enough for me out of my life. Um, and I, I prayed for the first time in a long time because it's been really difficult for me to have a relationship with God because I've been caught up on semantics. Like why we gotta call him a him? There's no gender. Well, duh. But is, are we really going to debate pronouns when we consider eternity? Yeah. That's heavy, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I was crying and prayerful. And <laughs> the next thing I know, like all the anger I had been walking around carrying for five years or so, probably longer than that, just was gone. And John 5 was in my head. You know, the, the man in the pool at Bethesda. And he'd been sitting there waiting, trying to get to the part of the waters that troubled, that the angels troubled for his healing. And Jesus walks by and says, will you be made whole? And he's like thinking that God is, Jesus is going to help him by putting him in that part of the water. So he knows his healing is coming and it's coming that way. And it don't even come the way he, he knows it's coming, but he don't know it's coming the way it's coming. And Jesus says, well, take up your mat and walk. Slayed. People talk about being slayed in the spirit and they think theatrics, laid out, usher, white blankets. <laughs> no, sweetie. <laughs> Let me tell you what slayed in the spirit was. I, it was instantaneous. I immediately was no longer angry. I wasn't mad. I couldn't have gone to, uh, to North Carolina and seen my father before that happened, but God's timing is perfect. Perfect. So... I went, fast forward back to North Carolina, like I had had this, this breaking of my heart and heart and immediately began to be compassionate and see people completely different mm -hmm. and deal with people differently. Um, and I realized how angry I had been. And granted, I had a valid reason to be angry, but be angry but sin not. Yeah. And when do we become sinful? When we harbor unforgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's when we can't be forgiven. We hold things against people. And our righteous indignation goes from righteous indignation to judgment to false piousness or false humility or whatever. Right? Mm -hmm. So fast forward. Here we are. I see him. Call the crisis hotline. Ask him what my options are. I mentioned earlier how my father was like, like a musical genius. But then he was also really an abusive man. A real hard man. Um, and I can tell you that the man that I, I saw when I went there, if we're not even just talking about physical appearance, I'm talking about his mental capacity. I don't know who, where he was. Some years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I'm sure I'm wrong, his girlfriend died suddenly. She went in for a routine checkup and had a heart attack and was dead. And he ain't never been the same. Mm -hmm. My father started 
he lost his family house he inherited after my grandma died. Um, he hoarded. If you've ever seen the show Extreme Hoarders, that's what it looked like. Mm. And no water, no power, no nothing. Um, just drug use and laying there like, like he was homeless in a home. And um, he had another place and he lost it for the same reason. He stayed in a couple different places and lost it for the same reason. And a lot of times that's a symptom of mental illness. Mm. And, you know, I struggle with depression. I'm not, I don't keep that a secret. I'm treated for depression. Um, so I knew someone right. And so I called the hotline and they told me, you know, that he probably needs to go and be medically evaluated and then he could be psychiatrically evaluated. So the next day I called him and I said, I want you to go to the ER. And he went and he told him, he said, I'm diabetic and I got bed bugs. That's what he told him. And they admitted him and he was malnourished and he had a couple of, he had an infection. And I remember going in to see him. And I remember what he looked like to me as a child. And then I go and see him in this hospital bed. And um, he's just laying there shivering, his body shivering because, you know, he's got an infection. And look how small he looks. He's tiny. Yeah. And that's something to see. But see, had, had God not broken my heart the week before, I would have looked at him and it would not have fazed me. You know, there's like a scripture that says when you hear the hear God's voice start to call it on heart in your heart. Mm -hmm. um, and I really feel like um, God manifests himself in some interesting ways. He used a donkey. Um, <laughs> so I see my father there and at one point, you know, I'm helping him eat, helping him to the bathroom. I'm just looking at him and this is the man that made me suffer so much at his own hands mm -hmm. and here I am taking care of him and I'm like ain't this some shit um, <laughs> that's what I thought and I thought about like how they how he and my mom tended to favor my older brother like he never got hit by either one of them um, and he didn't get the names they didn't call him the names that they called me I'm saying both of them because they both did things mm -hmm. and I'm not saying I was a perfect child I did things but I'm just telling you like they favored him and but he wasn't there. I was there. And before I could go and get prideful and be like, yeah, now look, God said this is what we do to the do to the Savior every day. Every single day. We abuse him and mistreat him. And then we expect him to feed us when we land there yeah. in our time of need. The level to which I was ministered to over this past week. So since then, you know, I've been, um, I was driving home. I'm almost done with this story. I was driving home and, um, I wasn't driving home. I was driving back to Greensboro after seeing him in the hospital. And I was all emotional. I was crying. And I heard God say that my responsibility to my father is to show him Christ's love for the rest of his life. And that through doing that, my healing the healing for my soul would come mm -hmm. because clearly I'm not whole like I need to be whole. And so when I get back to where I was staying and I'm reading the Bible, I'm in Isaiah and I come across Isaiah 58 and he's, talk, he's talking to this church who had been fasting, you know, because there was a lot of sickness in this city and um, they're fasting and there's no change. And God says, 
you're fasting, but is this not the fast that I want? Is it the fast that I want for you to bring the, the homeless into your house, for you to give food to the poor, to take care of those that don't have to break the yokes of oppression? Isn't that the fast I want? Don't you know when you do that, your healing will spring up? I read that after he said that to me in the car. So I knew I was where I was supposed to be doing what I was supposed to do. So my relationship, to answer your question from 20 minutes ago with my father now, um, is one where it's work. But, you know, I love my father. I ain't, you ain't got to like everybody you love. And I don't even, I think one day I'm not going to dislike him. You know, one day I'm not going to dislike him. But I can say out loud that I love him. And that was challenging because it's hard to say you love somebody who mistreats you so much. Yeah. Because then you feel like that makes you weak, right? Mm -hmm. But in our weakness, God is made perfectly strong. So, you know, be ground, be broken so that wildflowers will come up from where you are. That's roomy. Um, <laughs> but so that's my relationship with my father right now. He's, I want him to, he's been living like he doesn't have, a reason to live. He's been just existing. And I want him to look forward to the future and know that he can have a relationship with me and my kids. And I'm not mad at him for the stuff he did. And I'm like, I don't care about any of it at this point. It's like a story in my story. You know, it's a part of what made me who I am. But I'm trying to spend the rest of my days living in love, man. I mean, it just feels better. Now that you gotten that off your shoulders, where your my your broad my, shoulders, my, my football player shoulders, my linebackers, yeah. But do you do you feel lighter mm -hmm. now? That's good. I sleep better when I do sleep, but you know I don't sleep a lot. Well, I used to sleep a lot when before I got my depression checked. I slept all the time. I just depression, man. It's it's real. You know, you and I lost a mutual friend to that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And um. I was, cause I was, I was, I was very bothered because I, the signs were there, but I wasn't paying attention. Mm. And um, the biggest sign was the book that she asked for, the last book from, well, the only book she asked for me. What was that? Um, the Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm. Went over right on my head. So I really want to read it, cause I can see myself um, mirroring the main character. Mm. I was like. Oh, I didn't. Okay. And I was like, why would she want this book? It's very depressing. Because mm. everything he experiences is from the outside. He's never really involved. Mm. Hence, being a wallflower and not being removed. Mm. Well, being removed and just seeing, as a teenager, mm. just seeing life just passing by. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you did tell me that, it's funny because you're naturally vibrant. That's just who you are. Who you talking about? You. Oh, is that, yeah. oh I thought you were doing like a general you. Oh, no, me, no. You. Oh, yeah, you, you. Oh, you're right. I was like, go ahead. But you, you, don't, you don't see that. Yeah. And you never, unless somebody actually tells you, or you're much involved in that person's life to see the signs and notices the difference. Like, when she does this, something's not right. Mm -hmm. She's out of place. Mm -hmm. So I felt bad because I, I felt like I wasn't that much of a friend to notice those things. But you can't do that to yourself, man. Depression depression um, turns people into really good actors. We could win Academy Awards. You never know. Yeah. You just never know. 
Damn, that is what it is. But, um, so, I don't know. I don't even know how the hell we got on that. <laughs> but, yeah, man, rest in peace, Spring. Beautiful spirit. Beautiful, uh, brilliant writer. Yeah, and that was, and segwaying, uh, making a seg- segue into the aspect of writing and music. Mm-hmm. Um, I will honestly say this, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. There you go. I'm <laughs> about to do, about to be light-skinned. I've, I've come across maybe four vocalists, mm-hmm. personally, mm-hmm. That, I'm, that blew my mind. Blew your mind. Like, literally. Yeah. And... One at the time that I interviewed you for class, for pod class in class, and you walked in there and you just said, and that's one thing that I'm noticing about a lot of artists, when you can sing, it is it's 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 a phenomenal to me to sing, mm. create melody, mm. sit down at a computer, not a computer at a, a piano, you know. and just just go to town and have a conversation, and like that's something's going on in your brain that allows you to do that, mm. it allows you to enter a space that seems like there's no room for anybody else but for you and your art mm. but I will honestly say that you are one of the best vocalists I've heard you know what to say thank you and <laughs> sorry as, as she gets a bigger head Listen, um, you can't get why well, I got these big old shoulders I can hold it <laughs> but your man like your ability to harmonize like I, I always tell um, Adrian my girlfriend oh. about mm. Um, is it um, Paul McCartney, mm. known as one of the best songwriters and mm. melody creators of all time? Mm. And it always it just boggles my mind how somebody can sit down and write and say, "Okay, how am I going to sing this?" Okay, and to hear that, and then to hear the instrumentation, and to say, "How am I layer it?" Or say, "How am I put this here and how am I put that there?" And as a musician, mm. I know that is. Um, an intimate place for you mm. to do what you do, but mm. I just I find it completely admirable. Oh, well, so thank you. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, most definitely. So, um, so musically, I'm so how we got? I got a ten minutes. Um, so musically, Are we tearing this interview up. Yeah. <laughs> so so musically, you're gonna have to do a part two. <laughs> if you if you're up for it, I ain't going nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's see. Um, so how did how did that start? As far as your music, yeah, my father. I grew up listening to him. Um, you know, when I was a, a young girl in Atlanta, he'd play soul music, Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite artist um, to this day. I grew up. He put that bug in me, and my mom can sing. Like she has a nice voice, but my dad can sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the only thing that we ever had between us. Only time he wasn't whooping my ass was when we were singing together, making or talking about now music. Like, like, <laughs> five dollar fine. So five dollar fine. Um, no, 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 anime, no, anime, you ain't gonna do this. You're gonna go and go and go and get on in there in that, in that studio now, anime. I'm sorry, that's not funny. I'm y'all holding that kill. Look, we're not gonna do that right now. But listen, um, oh, the bug was placed in me then, and I have always like enjoyed melodies and listen to music differently. Like, you know, Kanye West says he hears music, he sees colors. Well, I don't, I don't know about all that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he does. Kanye does whatever Kanye wants. He's a, he's a Kanye, who do you think you are? I told you. I am a god. I told you. Oh, you right. Um, let that man live. Um, I uh, just think 
music has always been, it was challenging growing up biracial in the racist South, man. They don't have friends. I used to do jigsaw puzzles. My mama could tell you this. You sit at a table like this and pour, do a puzzle, 2,000 piece puzzle, and I would create stories. I would talk them out. I would act out all the parts while I'm doing the puzzle. And that pretty much translated into my writing later in life. But I would have those scenes and there always be music in the background. And in between my songs, this whole stream of consciousness type thing. I'd be telling my story while I'm doing the puzzle. And then I'd, one of my songs would come on. I grew up on Mariah Carey. I loved it because she always talked about being mixed. And I was like, <laughs> yes! She knows what it's like now. I don't know what she is. Darling, she's fabulous. <laughs> um, but I would sing in between that and then... My mama found out I could sing when I was, what, in second grade, maybe, in Miss Gardner's second grade class, and I sang at a funeral mm -hmm. or, like, a service for one of the cross guards that got, crossing guards that got hit. I was singing Bette Midler's The Wind Beneath My Wings, and I couldn't oh, get yeah. through the song. I ran out. It's pretty bad. Um, and I started singing after that, and then I got, I did a lot of competitive singing, um, maybe when I was high school age, mm -hmm. and I won a lot. Um, <laughs> it's important to say. Uh, and then I pursued it, like seriously, um, maybe my junior and senior year of high school. And then when I left my first husband and moved to Jersey, I went up there to pursue music. And I had relative success, you know. I did background work for some reggae artists, and I had a, a dope production team that got me on the radio once. That was nice to hear yourself on the radio. Yeah. Um, and an album that... Many of us probably won't. <laughs> Twenty-one live, songs on that album and never released it. Man, I, man, I, I did a lot with music, and and you know, going through college, nobody down here knew. Like nobody at the university knew I sang. You were the first one to find out. Really? Yeah, I didn't want people to know. Mm. I felt like people only wanted to be around me. I felt like people used me for whatever whatever type of vicarious living they wanted to do through me. And yeah. so if I was singing, everybody wanted to be around and praise me. But if I wasn't singing, people didn't want to be bothered with me. And so I wanted to create a new identity for myself that didn't involve me being Leah the singer or Leah the comedian. Like, oh, Leah's silly or Leah can sing. Those are the two things, adjectives people use to describe me. Either a uh, great singer or crazy, like silly crazy. Yeah. And I didn't want that anymore. I wanted to be known something different and so that's why nobody knew nobody needed to know it's always fun to surprise people yeah never let was, left hand know what the right hand is doing <laughs> you know that, was, that was a big big surprise mm -hmm. and i was like oh wow and uh because i it's it's and it's sometimes it's difficult to hear a local artist and be like you know what they sound like such and such. So they do. They have sound like Alicia Keys. Yeah, you do. Yeah, before the baby, um, <laughs> before her, before she lost her voice. I still think Alicia got her voice. Her voice just changed. You know, I think she injured her voice uh, back in two thousand. Whenever she put out the album with Tri Single with Broken Heart, The Element of Freedom, mm -hmm. she in injured her vocal cords while she was on tour, and um, she's been healing. And so her voice is different. It's not as heavy, not as rich, not as velvety. But she still got a pretty voice, and I still one of her biggest fans. But yeah, I sound like the old Alicia. <laughs> You're right. So uh, speaking of babies, um, um, I'm making. <laughs> I'm talking about you being kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you, Diane. I love you, Katie. <laughs> but uh, this will be this the last question pertaining to this. And I think it really struck my mind when you asked me, so what are we going to be talking about? And this is the first thing that popped in my mind. Because I was like, I never thought to ask a mother or anybody, a parent, this. Mm -hmm. 
due to what's happening to in society mm-hmm. and how the message that's being delivered to young black men. Um, <laughs> you heard uh, Show Baraka's album, The Narrative. Mm-mm. One thing he said on there, it was um, the song Fathers, uh, Common 2004. He said, just remember, um, be something to something, but you... You will be stopped by the cops, but remember, you might just have to put your hands up. Like, this is something, this is a reality that they have to accept. You as a mom raising girls mm-hmm. who will be viewed as black. They're black. Being bl- as black, black You got to see their daddy. He's black as hell. <laughs> What's up, Jada? Shout out. Um, <laughs> dark, darkness is... I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. He'll get that joke because when we were married, he called me Betty Cracker and I called him darkness. Go ahead. <laughs> it's your face. Yeah. But mm-hmm. what is it... Is there a concern that you have for your daughters growing up, especially now and... Uh, Oppositions that they may end up facing once they get older. Only if I were raising my kids in a bubble. Yeah. Um, only if I if I were raising them to believe the lies. When my kids are woke. Case, yeah, they are. case in point, my kid brought home homework and she was supposed to write a book report on the Indians, Native Americans around here, and and the pilgrims around Thanksgiving time. And they said, "What were some things that they shared?" And and. The options in that textbook were ludicrous. I said, hell no, you're not writing that. I'm, I said, this is what you're going to tell them that the pilgrims shared with the Native Americans. You're going to put disease. <laughs> you're going to put uh, uh, suffering. You're going to put the feeling of loss, <laughs> death. That's the kind of stuff you're going to put. Hey, my baby was what? Eight years old? I'm telling y'all, that's what, seven years old? I said, that's what you're going to send back to your teacher. I'm not finna, I'm not raising them to believe this myth that America has got like this bright and shining past for who sway. I'm gonna tell you maybe for some, but not for the many. Mm-hmm. Um, so my kids are they grow up knowing the truth. And do I, am I concerned? I want my kids to be be who they are. Like you said about me that like when you met me, you knew like I say what it is. I want my kids to be that way. I want them to be bold. I'm raising baby lions. You understand? Um, my kids will be able, they will know who they are. It's not going to take them until they were 26 to figure that out. They're going to have accurate information to make some uh, well-informed decisions from an early age. You know, I didn't have accurate information. I didn't start getting my information until I was, what, 26? You know, you go to college and they tell you everything they taught you as a, as a kid in primary school and mess is all a lie. Here's the real truth. And then you're like, oh, hell, what do we do for those 12, 13 years? Um, <laughs> but uh, no, my kids, they're going to have all the information up front. I'm not, if my kids were black boys, going to be black men, I'd be terrified. But they're not. At best, they're going to be overeducated. They're going to be the last to marry, the first to divorce. Now, I'm just telling you based on statistics. I'm not speaking this over them, but if I'm doing it based on statistics, they're going to be the last to marry, the first to divorce. They're going to be the most educated. Um, they're going to have stigmas that are attached to them, but they ain't never got to worry about getting pulled over by a police officer in the way that black men do and not walking away from it. Now, that's not to downplay what happened to Sandra Bland or other black women. I'm just saying that the instances or the rates at which those things happen to brothers are... You know, it's it's much more significant the number than what happens to black women. So 
um, in a lot of situations. So, I mean, I worry about them for when they have kids, if they have black sons or when they get married and they marry black men. I worry about what that's like because they're going to share in the suffering. I'm so glad to have girls. People say, you don't want a boy for what? <laughs> Hell no, I don't want a boy. That's a whole nother level of sorrow you got to bring on yourself. Having sons is a beautiful thing, but when you have black sons, the responsibility of that, um, the endangered species that is a black man, and to, and to live with the anxiety that at any given day you can get that knock on your door, that phone call that he was reaching for his cell phone and I thought he had a gun and he's dead and then nobody's going to be brought to justice over it. That's not something I want to deal with. Thank God for girls. Yeah. I personally, my, I personally would like to have one. I think if, if I do, I might end up spoiling her. You going to shoot the club up? <laughs> you plan on shooting the club up? Mm. You ain't gonna acknowledge what I just said. You gonna act like you don't mm. know what that means when yeah, I say shoot the club I, up. I know the ring. I know the ring. Shoot the club. You gonna no, have some I, kids. Mm. You gonna shoot the club. Huh? <laughs> 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 I'm not gonna tell you why. How I know that? Because uh-huh. when I first heard it, I'm like, who getting <laughs> shot? Why would you say? <laughs> you know Charlemagne the God, right? Uh huh. He said that. I'm like. Yeah. And he's he's talking to I think he had a um, special guest with somebody black. So I'm like, who got? Of course. Um, somebody who got shot. He was like, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. No. You gonna shoot the club up? Um, no, because <laughs> I am gen- genetically inclined uh-huh. to shoot one bullet <laughs> and ten people get shot. <laughs> you fired him. Oh, yeah. Pennywell jeans. <laughs> Them ain't dungarees, no nah, Pennywells. <laughs> we should wear some tight jeans to prevent all this stuff from happening. You're right, you're right, you're right. Oh, oh man. wow. That yeah. just got real. Yeah, granddad was. Um, thank you for. Um... <laughs> thank you for um, uh... allowing me to interview you. Um, if you're open for part two, if you have anything else you want to share. Um... I can pick your brain for a number of things, but um, I will say this. Um, uh, Leah's a talented writer. Um, she is one of the few um, writers whose work I've actually read and was Whoa. like... Well, let's just take a minute to <laughs> talk about the shade in that statement. Compliment well, me, but he shaded up, the hell out me, of somebody else. Let me... No. <laughs> You said, we're going to do just one take and whatever happens, happens. <laughs> one of the few artists whose work I've actually read, which means, hey, let me tell you something. Y'all send y'all papers to y'all's work to count. Nah, don't, do don't, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let me, let me, let me, let me straighten this out. You can, you can paint a piece of paper and still do Let me, my, let me, my fault. We had we had the pleasure of being in class <laughs> with some writers uh, doing workshop. Excellent writers. They they were they were very excellent. But um, the cool the cool thing was you go. when when certain people's work was due. I'm not. I'm not. You confident. just you just knew what was if it was your name out of three. You just knew whose work was yours. Oh. I put it that way. <laughs> You, Same was true for be, you, though. Because everybody had a different writing style. Yeah. And I knew that um, 
I was more prone to being candid mm. with my work than you were. And that was one thing I didn't understand. Because mm. I, I was like, as, as, as much as you've in, uh, experienced and as bold as you are, mm. why can't you just talk about this or say, say this? And you're like, no, I don't, I can't. And I'm like, really? That's a level of vulnerability that I wasn't willing to go to. I'm still growing as a writer. Yeah. You were further ahead of me there in that way. You could say things that I just couldn't say. Mm. Who's good writing partners though? Yeah. Yeah. And I've never I've, I've never experienced that with, with someone else. Well we could it was a call and response. Yeah. And it was and it's it was legit. It still is. We haven't actually exchanged work in a while. But we need to probably start doing that. Yeah, you need to get your life together. <laughs> Oh yeah. But uh um, control. But yes, you can uh, you can catch her at uh the local target. No, uh don't tell nobody where to find me. <laughs> <laughs> See me in the streets. You won't know me. Um don't you send nobody in the Um Yeah, we can catch her and um she by the bad by the bad booze. But thank you for tuning in to uh, episode seven and the the glory in our stories. Uh, again, this is Calvin Pennywell uh, interviewing Miss Leah Smith.